song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. Oh, I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Somber episode today, Dave. Yeah, this is treading into some uh, serious slash slightly depressing slash quite infuriating waters. And I'm I'm a little concerned for, for both of us. I'll admit mostly you. Yeah, uh, fake news uh, is one of my least favorite concepts on Earth, but I think it's one of the most wrestling concepts on Earth. It's it's a lot. Uh, I have a little inside baseball. I usually get the audio clips before the episode and then put them in during the episode post-production. I have not brought myself to actually get post-production clips yet because i know for a fact it's going to be like a nightmare anger storm and i'm just not looking forward to it but uh you know what we have to talk about it we will be getting a little political but i will be yelling at both sides for their stupid bullshit so uh don't worry Uh, we will be giving equal time to everyone's shittiness but i wanted to start this episode with kind of a little bit of a history so fake news has always existed right dave i I think that's fair to say that fake news has always been a thing people have always lied oh yeah sure people have always lied and you know media and communication has always been a platform for power so like when you combine greed for power and a good platform you generally get yeah misinformation you know fake media campaigns of some sort or another when i think of fake news like actual fake news because i think there's a difference between fake news that's actually lies and fake news which is what uh, that donald trump calls fake news but the origins of fake news as we understand them in the actual sense of fake news would be something like yellow journalism, which uh, most popularly came up during the lead up to the Spanish-American War in the late 1800s. Uh, William Randolph Hearst is known for helping lead us into war with Spain, uh, doing so through pretending like it was definitive that Spain, who was another world power, had blown up one of our warships, the USS Maine. The headline after the USS Maine had sank was, destruction of the warship Maine was the work of the enemy. And then underneath it, it has Assistant Secretary Roosevelt uh, of the Navy, that would be Theodore Roosevelt, the eventual president, convinced the explosion of the warship was not an accident. Here's a spoiler alert. It probably was an accident, but what Randolph Hearst saw was an opportunity to make a bunch of money and get himself in good with the people in power. So he used his soapbox, in this case, a prominent newspaper, to push an agenda of warmongering, actual war where people were going to die. This despite any evidence that this was actually true or even taking the time to do the actual due diligence that you would do as a newspaper. He did not care. His goal was to get us into war. And I I think that's something that we've largely moved away from, but not necessarily something that we've completely avoided. Uh, We have a less tendency to be less explicit in our warmongering. But if you look at, for instance, the Iraq war buildup, um, The New York Times, and this is a quote from the New York Times public editor, she said, and I quote. And I quote, little Michael Cole action, because it is a wrestling podcast. Uh, The lead up to the war in Iraq in 2003 was not the Times' finest hour. Uh, Some of the news reporting was flawed, driven by outside agendas, and lacking in needed skepticism. And I think that's the important part, is that journalists are supposed to act as skeptics. That is their fundamental job. I, Dave and I are friends with a lot of journalists and they are some of the most skeptical people we know. It is ingrained in most journalists to question everything. And when you lose that, or when you don't even make a half-hearted pass at it, that's when you have what would actually be considered fake news. It reminds me a lot of kayfabe. Does it remind you of kayfabe, Dave? Yeah, I mean, in either situation, you're really constructing a reality. You're, you're carving out a space where you're you're inviting your audience to suspend their disbelief and buy into everything you're saying wholesale 
and, and you're basically encouraging people to to turn off that BS meter, right? And and in the case of wrestling, you're doing that hopefully just to like entertain people and you know maybe get a little of their money out of their pockets. But but in the case of fake news, you're doing it for for some pretty dark manipulative stuff. There's a famous political cartoon. It's called um, the Yellow Press, and it, it, it's by a political cartoonist named Glackens, uh, G L A C K E N S. Uh, but it, it portrays Hearst as a kind of a jester, as a court jester dressed all in red, but he has kind of pointy shoes and kind of pointy tassels on his jester hat. So he also looks like the devil. And he's throwing these yellow papers that are coming off of his press into this crowd of sort of normal looking people, you know, normal looking citizens. And the headlines on the papers are appeals to passion, venom, attacks on honest people, and sensationalism. Like those are the, those are the headlines on the yellow papers that Hearst dressed as a as a jester slash devil is throwing into the crowd. And I mean, jester slash devil is how people sort of lightheartedly, you know, think of wrestling promoters, right? Like people think of Vince McMahon, where like he's a really problematic businessman who's used a lot of kind of ruthless practices. And, but at the same time, he's kind of a clown that people have laughed at because he just can't help himself. And he's this larger than life figure. And he insists on being of, you know, a powerful big captain of industry, even though he's kind of this court jester, you know, fake wrestling promoter. So when you talk about Hearst, it's like Hearst really was using wrestling promoters tactics in order to to specifically sell the Spanish-American war, but but to press, to, to push what was like a paternalist agenda. The idea that, you know, he was controlling the information people got to make sure that they made what he believed was the right decision and, you know, and, and, and brought the country in the right direction. What you'll see between the two is this idea of the crowd kind of wanting, and this is something we've definitely talked about in previous episodes, people want to be told a good lie. They want to have their fears validated and for action to be taken based on those fears. So when you're worried about the Spanish taking over, uh, the Spanish empire taking over, you want to hear that the Spanish did something terrible considering they were trying to take over a part of the world that was so close to ours that we believed belonged to us. When you have a crowd that's receptive to that, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes this weird feedback loop where there's no evidence that can be pulled out that says, guys, this is crazy. Like, this is not happening. This, there's no evidence at the very least that what you think is happening is happening. And that's where it can get really scary. Well, one thing, so one thing we talked about in the past is modernism. And it's very 20th century, very modernist to say, like, there is no truth and that everything is a matter of perspective and a matter of approach and a matter of context, right? And that is really an attitude that was growing in the early 20th century in really the rise of Hearst that Hearst really took advantage of. And it's it's a big sentiment now in the internet age, right? That like that there really isn't objective truth. It's all about quote unquote, your truth. And uh, so it's a really similar climate today to what we saw Hearst taking advantage of in the early 20th century. And it's why I think that wrestling has become popular again, is we kind of have this, we want to be lied to in a way that makes us feel comfortable. This idea that fake news is any news and that that's how Trump sees it is any news I don't like is fake news. And people have more and more, you can only, if you're arguing with somebody who has a different belief structure than you, you have to use their actual journals of the newspapers of choice, right? You have to, one of the reasons I read the Wall Street Journal is because I know for a fact, if I'm arguing with somebody who has different political beliefs than me, I'm not coming from a place where I'm quoting the Times because I know they will completely shut down if I quote the Times. So I have to come at it from this position of, listen, I am reading the same things you are. We are reading the same kinds of truth, if you will. But there are basic facts that, Things are things can definitely be a matter of perspective. You will find no one less prescriptivist than me. I'm extremely against prescriptivism, which is part of constructing a reality for yourself. I believe that everybody has their own point of view on things, but there are things that there are difference between opinions and assertions. An opinion is I think. An assertion is I think we should do this based on the thing that I think. 
And that's, I think, something that people miss. And it's something we talked about in the post-structuralist episode, that there's a difference between you not liking stuff and you thinking something is bad in the same way that you think that Spain has something to do with the the sinking of the main and deciding that you're going to go to war against them without finding out definitively whether or not that's true. And I think that's where that modernist or that postmodernist idea kind of, it touches too close upon reality in a way that people are unequipped to deal with because they don't understand that post-structuralism in particular is the idea of trying to find a truth through all of the bullshit. It's not about trying to find your own pile of bullshit and call it truth. Yeah, and, and I think we're kind of like running up against one of the the issues of the internet age and like i'll speak in defense of the monoculture our dearly departed monoculture uh in that you know it was easier to have conversations i believe or i mean i was not you know most of my adult life certainly uh you know has been living has been in the sort of modern era but uh but i think that when there were fewer publications and when there was fewer stuff for people to read there were le- there were there was greater chance that if you were someone who was interested in politics you were reading many of the same publications as someone else who was interested in politics and as we've had like splintering and as we've had both sides become more and more entrenched and more in both sides really spreading out within themselves more over the last 20 years i think that the way the dialogue is fractured has made it harder for like everybody to come to the table and even harder for everybody to agree on what news is and should look like. And and, like, I think that's kind of a a problem of the era that we're running up against and and seeing in this moment. And you see it in particular with the concept of, I I guess you would call it kayfabe of something like Infowars, which is this constructed reality. Yeah, there it is, the gay bomb. Look it up for yourself. I mean, this is what they're... What do you think tap water is? It's a gay bomb, baby. And I'm not saying people didn't naturally have homosexual feelings. I'm not even getting into it, quite frankly. I mean, give me a break. You think I am, like, oh, shocked by it, so I'm up here bashing it because I don't like gay people? I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Ugh, ugh, serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. That they just say crazy things and then sell you gorilla mind pills, I think. I think that's what it is. Before I go any further, we got to fund this operation. We got the very best nutraceuticals out there. I don't know if I can run this for another week or so. We want to run it through the end of the month, but that's like 11 days because I don't want it to sell out before Morgan gets in. X2, the good halogen. 20% off InfoWarsLife.com, InfoWarsLife.com. InfoWarsLife.com. They sell you things based on this idea that they're constructing that they partially admit is a construct, but they don't. It, it's the same idea of wrestling where they want you to know it's entertainment on some level, but they also want you to not think about the fact that it's basically entertainment. And I think that's why you see people getting entrenched in their own beliefs about and this is a much more innocuous example of like what makes good wrestling and whether or not the McMahons are secretly evil and things like that. Everything becomes a conspiracy theory. And I think what you see with kayfabe is like an innocuous version of that, but you can see through kayfabe how that stuff can become really dangerous. And, and one of my uh, big examples that I always think of when I, I watch wrestling is the match trailers. So in, in most pay for most pay-per-views for most matches on pay-per-views, what they do is they take, let's say, six months or three months or a month of storylines and they put it into this three to four minute trailer. And what you see in a lot of those cases is they construct the reality they want you to feel going into the match. And it feels that way when you see these conspiracy theories online, that they've, they are taking these pieces of information and framing them in completely different ways just to get over an idea of, say, like crisis actors. Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake, with actors, in my view, manufactured. I couldn't believe it at first. In in InfoWars or in the fact that people aren't booing Roman Reigns. InfoWars is definitely very wrestling-minded. And I think on a certain level, I mean, I think Alex Jones is kind of doing Jesse Ventura. You know, it's interesting. I, I really, st- I'm starting to believe the United States is starting to practice censorship. I mean, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post. They posted it and then immediately took it down, and now they won't print it. 
you know, and I, I, I was astounded that the Huffington Post would do that. So, you know, it's a case of, uh, you know, we got to take our country back as citizens and start restoring our freedom and our constitutional rights again. Um, like, like both in terms of, you know, with Jesse Ventura's post-wrestling uh, career, in addition to his political career, he's, he's made a lot of his money doing the conspiracy theory thing. He's had like three or four different cable shows. I'm not exaggerating at all when I think that Jesse Ventura has been a model for Alex Jones in terms of using, uh, you know, using the conspiracy stuff to connect with a section of the electorate that feels like or has felt really disenfranchised and really not heard and has typically been anti-government and bringing them to the voting booth. Like as much as he's an entertainment show, I think that he validates people who are on the fringe enough and is presented alongside, you know, more mainline conservative stuff in a way that kind of gets those people to the voting booth. Uh, voting a certain direction and 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 like I said and even just the way he the way he dismisses truth and the way he laughs off counter arguments it's so Ventura on commentary with Monsoon or especially with McMahon except there's no McMahon there's no one there actually standing up consistently you know for the truth and making sure that the crowd understands that he's just the sensationalist like Alex Jones is is purely Jesse without the straight play-by-play guy. And and that's what to me makes it propaganda. Like that stuff to me is propaganda not even for like a specific political party, but for this con- this world, this constructed world, uh, this infowars world. And I I think there's a distinction that needs to be made between the concept of propaganda, which is constructing a reality and then and then feeding a news cycle into that reality and what happened with like Hearst and the Iraq war buildup and things like that. Uh, to me, those are dangerous, but they're not, they are dangerous in a way that exists outside of action. Like they're, and I know I said earlier that they caused two wars, but there is at least some sort of, truth in what they're saying which is to say they are saying it is a possibility that blank has happened right where alex jones or the wwe when they make it seem like roman reigns isn't getting booed are saying this thing that you think happened didn't happen what actually is happening is this completely different thing and i think that's the line is that when you fake the actual news that's when you become propaganda and there's there's two different types of propaganda to me there's there's misinformation campaigns like what Russia did on Facebook, right? And then there's what Russia does to its own people. That's propaganda. Is when the state acts upon its own people through state-controlled media, as opposed to when they act against another state spreading misinformation. It's the difference between the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior and bring it to the table. Like self-destruction, the ultimate warrior was a, a documentary that WWE did about someone they'd had a falling out with and they painted him very, very negatively and they controlled the narrative to be all about how he was the bad guy and they were the good guy. But on the other hand, bring it to the table was like them calling out both people within their own company and media people who were covering the company in a serious way at the time and basically like belittling them or attempting to like bully them or tell them tell the fan base why the message they were seeing out there was was false and wrong and manipulative when in fact they were the ones who were who were out there to kind of throw away the concept of the truth so i mean you can be constructing a narrative with a strong viewpoint that's trying to make people feel a certain way and that's not necessarily propaganda but when you start saying any other viewpoints are false and anybody inside of or outside of our organization who isn't in line with this mainline orthodoxy aha another one of our themes uh, anybody in the company who isn't part, or outside of the company who isn't part of this mainline orthodoxy doesn't deserve to be part of the conversation like that's when it gets really problematic and that's what Trump does. Stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. That's what Trump does when he says fake news. And he has admitted that fake news, for the most part, is news he does not like. And since you're attacking us, can you give us a question? Go since ahead. you're, no, Mr. President-elect. Go ahead. Mr. President-elect, since you are attacking no, our news not organization, you. Not can you. you give us a chance? Your organization You are attacking our news organization. Your organization Can you give us a chance to ask a question, sir? Go ahead. Sir, can Quiet. you state, can, Quiet. Mr. President-elect, Go ahead. can you state categorically? She's asking a question. Mr. 
Don't the president elect, can you give us a question? Don't be You're rude. attacking us. Can you give us a question? Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. Can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir, Go ahead. can you stay categorically that nobody. No, Mr. President elect, that's not Go appropriate. It, that is a way different thing, and it's a much more dangerous concept long term. It erodes in many ways our understanding of reality around us it's it's we mentioned this at the end of last week's episode it is literally literally orwellian 1984 shit like it is the it is definitionally orwellian it is it is trying to construct an alternate reality while acknowledging another reality exists and just saying no this is the reality you should believe in because it's the one that will lead to a path of righteousness, or it's the one that's going to make America great again. And it's presented as very simple. Like, they they, uh, they take what everybody has previously agreed to as being complex issues and pretend that they're very cut and dried. And they, they diminish the role of language in articulating and defending a viewpoint. Like when you reduce everything to being good or bad or sad, like then it becomes, everything just becomes like a loud argument. And the person who's going to shout those words the loudest wins. Like it, it's about not just leading people a certain way, but like devaluing the dialogue and diminishing the language that could possibly be used to question or attack you. Yeah. And I, I think wrestling deals with this idea better than real life does for the most part. Um, one of the ways that they have to deal with things that don't go their way that they have to adjust is the concept of like a botched ending in a match. So when they have an ending that's messed up, they come back and they try to explain, oh, well, uh, this is actually what happened. Oh, we have to do it this way. Uh, oh, um, his feet actually touched the ground first. So technically he won. Like uh, for the greatest Royal Rumble, which seemed like a botch. I, I don't care what they say. Whether or not the ending was supposed to be what the ending was or if they just screwed up the ending is they they then had to fix it in post basically and that's understandable but it also breaks the illusion it breaks the kayfabe of things and it it actually damages long term the company which i have less concern for than the like american republic but then you have controversial performers which is just straight gaslighting like people do i like roman reigns most people don't and there are a lot of reasonable people who don't like him for a bunch of different completely valid reasons and I think what you see with that is this idea that they are the ones controlling the narrative. They are the ones that are in charge. OSW Review always makes the joke, Vince McMahon's idea of wrestling is you don't like what you think you like, you like what I, I tell you to like. And that's what is becoming, what the Trump idea of fake news is becoming is like, what the truth is, is what I tell you the truth is, not what people's entire job and entire existence is to try to find a truth. We already have the truth. Yeah, and I think we saw that play out a little bit on the WWE level in the CM Punk uh, versus uh, Dr. Amon, Amon, Dr. Amon trial. I mean, because that was really a case where there were just two completely separate narratives out there, one of which was like, I was really sick for a long time. I had this supposedly life-threatening infection and it was huge and super noticeable. And then on the other end, you had WWE being like, no, 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 look at this picture from the Royal Rumble. He clearly doesn't have a thing. There was nothing. It was nothing at all. And they actually went to trial with to, to, to prove that CM Punk was just a malcontent ex-employee. Like they actually went to court and litigated just to just to harm his reputation because he had said mean things about them on a media platform. And of course, you know, it didn't help when he got up on the stand and wouldn't say that he had gone to a doctor and that the doctor said that it was super life-threatening, which he had been, you know, which he claimed was the truth before. But at the same time, I thought that that trial was kind of a microcosm win against the kind of defensive bullying that we're seeing out there. Because I mean, they, you know, they tried to, they tried to impugn his reputation supposedly for impugning their reputation in, in what was 
clearly a dialogue with two completely different sides where somebody that some, somehow the truth was in the middle. They were fighting over which extreme it was going to be rather than trying to trying to let the middle dialogue kind of rule the day. This is something that's always happened in wrestling is that wrestling companies, because they are the the state in this instance, are constantly trying to construct the reality around themselves. But the difference is, and I think this is also the difference with fake news in the, the universal sense, is that there's so many more means by which they can do all of this stuff. They have social media, they have the things you can do to fake information. Um, there was a conservative news outlet that faked an interview with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez where they made it seem as though she didn't know the answers to her own policy positions. And they got called out on it and they were like, oh, it's satire. And it's like, you didn't mark it as satire. You treated it as though it was an actual conversation. It was an actual interview because you want people, you want your readers to get riled up and make them feel like you're the ones fighting for the real truth. And these, these usurpers, these insurgents are the dangerous ones. They're the ones that need to be stopped. And, and that's, you see these, and you see it even on things like um, with the Hulk Hogan Gawker case. Hulk Hogan basically through Peter Thiel took down an entire $100 million news organization because Peter Thiel didn't like that he had some, uh, he was outed, which was, is terrible. It shouldn't have happened. And he used Hulk Hogan as a tool by which to destroy an entire news organization. Like that's the level of stuff we're dealing with is this battle between the wealthy and the people who are in charge and basically everyone else. And it manifests itself in all these different ways, but it also manifests itself literally in wrestling. Like it's literally something we see every day and they try to play it off, especially in the WWE is like, Oh, it's just part of the show. But it's like, no, really you are the ones constructing this reality and deciding what matters and what doesn't. And you don't acknowledge that power. Yeah, exactly. If anything, they kind of throw it away. Like they try to diminish it because they know that they can, they can temper your reaction to the, the constructed reality, the fake show uh, by distracting you with quote unquote real reality. Like that's what they, like that's what they kind of did with total divas. Like, I mean, before like the big divas revolution, before you had the kind of uh, the, the current crop of, you know, exceptional women's talent up there, you know, you had, you had a group of characters who weren't super over, who people didn't see as real athletes, who people thought brought down the show. And like, what did they do? They spun it out into a reality show and made them into quote unquote real people. And that got all those characters over, including Natty, who was a great worker and had been for many years. But that show got all of those people over bigger because they said like, oh, don't worry about the wrestling reality. Look over here. They're great people. They have really funny personalities. Uh, Natty likes cats or whatever. Like her, she, she, her husband likes the cat more than her, right? That's the, that's the whole bit on the show. Yeah, the WWE is, is very lazy and, and does not really honor the responsibility of their power because rather than throw their whole energy into, into the constructed reality, which like, unfortunately, all the propaganda machines are doing full bore right now, <laughs> rather than, you know, putting, putting all their energy into the constructive narrative, WWE kind of likes to cheat or get lazy by when they, when the imagination or when the creative isn't there, it's like, I don't know, let's, let's throw some bones with some, with some kind of real details about people. And we talked about this actually on Twitter this week. The day that they announced, the, the same show that they announced, the biggest show in the history of the women's division, which is the Evolution pay-per-view, which I'm obviously very excited to. I will almost definitely be going because it's on Long Island where I live. The, the same episode, they had eight minutes of women's wrestling. And if you were to bring it up, I feel as though if, if wrestling were covered the way that other sports were covered, and someone called the bullshit on that, they'd say, well, we just announced this huge advancement for women. And it's like, yeah, but you're selling, you're literally marketing it as you evolving as a company, yet what you're actually doing is not evolving in any way, at least not on the main roster, at least not on Raw, which is, they say over and over again, their flagship show. You are, you are using shiny objects basically to say, Oh, we're actually advancing causes in it. And it's something you see a lot in politicians. And it's definitely something you see a lot in 
modern newspaper writing, especially editorial. They say, oh, we're doing all this reporting, but then you have the same 10 white dudes or people who have clear agendas that aren't illuminated writing for op-ed pages. They are the, the defining characteristic of most newspapers is their editorial page. And you have people who are literally like, they'll be writing about how we can't raise minimum wage. And there'll be people who are working for major retail corporations or are the lobbyist for uh, companies that will be affected by this. It's this idea that we know better than you do and we have the power to explain to you over and over again why we know better. And we also have the power to make sure that no other voices are heard in this space. You know, when I saw the announcement of, of that pay-per-view, when you talk about kind of silencing voices, one of the things that I thought was really icky was that they, they were really quick in all the press releases to talk about how Lita was going to be a part of it. And that really struck me because like she was a super outspoken voice against doing the show in Saudi Arabia, you know, where women would not be booked and, and wouldn't be performing on the show and where, you know, the, the state of women's rights in that country, uh, you know, very poor comparative to our, to our Western standards, certainly. Um, but, uh, but, but it, it really kind of made me sad because it, it comes back to, it's a, it's a media tactic. It's a political tactic. It's a wrestling tactic of taking that dissenting voice who articulates things really, really well and finding a way to silence them. And a lot of the times, the way you silence that person in the wrestling business is by giving them a job, by getting them on the payroll. You know, it's one of the, it's, you know, it's the, it's the keep the enemies closer kind of thing. If you think someone's really good at articulating why you are a hypocrite, then you pay them enough that, you know, that that becomes less of an issue to them. So I, I was really bummed out when I saw the inclusion of Lita on there just not because I'm sad that she's getting work, not because I'm sad that she's a WWE legend, but I had that moment of just being like, oh man, they're like instantly kind of buying back, you know, a lot of the criticism that she had levied against them. Or that's certainly what it feels like to me. Oh, definitely. And I'm a hundred percent agreement with you that there is this, they claim over and over again, it's not a make good, but it will be framed that way because they didn't do the right thing in the beginning with the Saudi show. And and I understand where triple h is coming from with that which is that you can't affect change if you're not there to affect change and sure i don't i don't want to imply that triple h and stephanie don't actually believe what that that will affect change but that's not the concern of the company the concern of the company is their stakeholders and their stockholders it's not they are not beholden this isn't the late nineties where it's owned in, in totality by the McMahon family. This is a publicly traded company that has responsibilities to its shareholders. And they have to recognize that Saudi Arabia then gives them enough money. What are they going to, and they say, but we're never ever going to give equal rights to women. Fuck you. There's nothing they're going to do. If they think that the PR hit will be less affecting to the company than the actual money they'll get from the Saudi government. And I think that's, uh, they need to address that. They need to draw a line in the sand that says, if these things aren't done, we will give back the money. I know that sounds crazy, but like, if you, if you don't feel that way, then don't act like you do. And that's, I, I think another part of the disingenuousness of fake news is that it's you don't actually care you're just feigning towards caring because it looks good or conversely you want people to not pay attention to something because it makes you look bad sure exactly i mean it's a it's a different method of, of hiding things in plain sight you know what i mean it's a diversionary tactic it's misdirection it's the same thing that like a stage magician does yeah and and wrestling is nothing if not stage magic it's just done with people wearing less clothes like that, that's all it really is and i don't know nick there's some pretty sexy magic shows out there the following announcement has been paid for by the new world order speaking of sexy wizards and magicians and such i have a couple of sexy wizards who i'd like to make a quick shout out to nick are you ready for sexy wizard shout out time <laughs> yeah i'm I'm ready for sexy wizard shout out time. So sexy wizard number one is our very first ever patron at 
How Wrestling Explains the World. So if you go to patreon.com slash HWETW, you too can get on the same level as the great Dylan Roth, to whom this personal shout out is being made at this very second. Dylan, of course, our very first patron. Thank you for leading the way, sir. You are a true trailblazer, a Davy Crockett of sorts. Uh, also, he provided us with our great theme song. His band is called the Hell Yeah Babies. That song is called Dog of War. You can check them out on uh, iTunes or any sort of other musical type place and get hooked up with their great music. So thanks so much to Dylan for supporting us at the $2 level. As Dylan listens to this show right now, he is also following along with his exclusive show notes, which are unlocking key insights both into the process of making the show and providing some kind of deep dive opportunities for him to do that sexy follow-up research that everybody likes to do after they hear a good podcast. Sexy wizard number two is, of course, Mr. Mark Masick, the author of Kaboom, the world's best book about weathermen and groundhogs, 100%. Uh, He is also supporting us at the $2 level, which means that he is also listening to this with the accompaniment of some insightful show notes. Of course, those show notes are probably not as elegantly written and brilliantly worded as his book Kaboom, which you should check out on Amazon.com. Uh, but I'm sure he's still enjoying it because Mark has a favorite part of every single episode and he usually tells us about them on Twitter. If you want to be a sexy wizard like Mark, a great step would be to start telling us what you like about the show. Reach out to us on Twitter or the best way to really have our ears is to fill them with money. So go to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W like how wrestling explains the world and join up at the $1 or $2 monthly level. You will be covering production costs so Mr. Nick doesn't go in the poorhouse creating this brilliant podcast out of the goodness of his heart. And you'll also get access to all sorts of exclusive content, like those show notes I've talked about, and like some of these uh, very exclusive, very sexy, very uh, definitive special VIP videos that Nick is in the process of creating. Nick, tell the people about the videos. Um... I'm, I'm making videos uh, about previous episodes. Uh, my brain hurts. Holy shit, don't um, sell it too hard, Nick. Nick is toiling, toiling at the workbench, hours and hours, splicing together clips from our favorite episodes from the vault with archival video footage, all high-quality video. Nick is a stickler for quality. He shows me the drafts. He says the finished product will have much higher-quality video. And I say, that already looks great to me. So these videos have all the great insights from our podcast made extra sharp, extra poignant with related video clips. Uh, Very, very exciting. We're going to have some that we're going to be throwing up on YouTube, you know, for everybody to check out. But there definitely will be VIP patron level extra sexy videos. So become a sex wizard at one or two dollars a month at patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. We spent a lot of time this episode talking about the more meta concepts of fake news and professional wrestling. And I think the ultimate example to me of fake news, of that propaganda telling a lie based on a real, an entirely fabricated lie based on a real concept is what uh, what's commonly colloquial known as the Owen Hart voice, uh, because it's, it was actually used once in real life when Owen Hart died. But this hushed tone, where they talk about what just happened, like it actually happened, and they're actually worried about the well-being of the people on the show. Yeah, we got a real, real serious situation going on here. Uh, there was a miscue as part of the entertainment tonight, and uh, and we are dealing with a situation that could not possibly have been prepared for. So um, we're gonna just gonna stay on this real tight two shot of the announcers, uh, as as you're supposed to believe that really serious medical stuff is going on in the background, which unfortunately, uh, Nick, as you astutely point out is uh, really manipulative and fucked up. So yeah, they have used it a bunch of times before, but the two that really stick out for me, and the one is dumb and kind of goofy because it's wrestling, and the other one, the first one, the, the, the instance that really sticks out in my mind is the New Age Outlaws in a feud with Chainsaw Charlie, who is Terry Funk, and Cactus Jack, who is Mick Foley, pushed Cactus Jack 
and Mick and uh, Chainsaw Charlie off of the stage back when the stage was very high in a dumpster. And they spend about 15, 20 minutes basically breaking kayfabe and acting like the thing that just happened had really happened and that the people that it happened to were really hurt. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I have uh, been doing uh, this for a long time. I've never seen anything like this. And this is a little, well, it's a whole hell of a lot over the line. We're gonna, we've got to get, a lot of folks are here. Mick Foley and Terry Funk both have a great deal of uh, respect in this business. And they're very much respected here in the WWF. And no doubt they're alter egos and professional professionally of uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. This is a live shot, folks. WWF superstars and officials. Yeah, there's a lot of fans, a lot of, a lot of the boys, they really, Terry and Cactus mean a lot to them. Many of these superstars look up to these two. Well, Terry Funk's 53 years of age. He's, he's a legend in this business to say the least. Cactus Jack certainly, uh, one of a kind human being. And just a... And there's WWE. Oh, it just didn't turn out as planned. That's all. We didn't mean to hurt him. He just I know. And none of that shit was true. And they acted like it was. And you're watching as a kid and like, are they really hurt? Is this really happening? What's really going on? And there's people crying. It's it's dark. It's one of the darkest parts of the Attitude Era as far as I'm concerned. And when I was a kid, it got super over on me. But looking back, it's it's a pretty horrifying segment to watch in retrospect. Yeah, especially, I mean, one of the things that they did to really try to sell it is they showed, um, they showed Road Dog and Billy Gunn both like kind of trying to half apologize, like saying like, oh, we just got, you know, overexcited in the moment, blah, blah, blah. And then you saw them, I'm pretty sure, I, I haven't watched that episode in a while. I watched it a year ago, but you actually see them like kind of getting chased down the hallway, like by people, like they're getting kicked out of the dressing room and stuff. And like that part of it, I guess on one hand, like watching it now, that's the part that's like, it's a, it's a tell that it's fake because like, why would they be showing you those details that, you know, but, uh, but at the same time, like you said, like when you're a kid, uh, when you're seeing that for the first time and not really kind of like smart to wrestling, like that stuff really, really sold it as real showing that like, even these guys who are supposed to be bad, that like they've reached a spot where even, even they have remorse and stuff. And they were, they, they were making the characters kind of double, they were being kind of doubly dishonest on a certain level. You know what I mean? And, and JR talks in that scene about how some guys are just trying to get over. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And it's the first time he brought up that, con yes. brought up that concept. Yes, he specifically says, get over. In, in, he was breaking cave. He was pushing the boundaries of kayfabe in that moment. He also said that Chainsaw Charlie was Terry Funk, which I'm, I don't know that they had necessarily said at that point, but he referred to them as Terry Funk and Mick Foley during the whole thing rather than than using the character name. So it's like they were pretending that it was suddenly realer, but it was actually, like I said, this like second layer of, of more disingenuous fakery. That, that one's really troublesome. The other one that's, it's, it's honestly the goofiest shit maybe ever is the collapse of the stage on Vince McMahon after he gave away McMahon's millions. And he's asking, he's calling out for Triple H, whose real name is Paul. And he's saying, Paul, Paul, I can't feel my legs. Paul. Paul. Lies, okay? lies. Paul. Lying. Paul. You okay? Paul. You all right? You all right? Okay? Don't I move. Can't go by legs. Don't move. Jesus Christ, don't move. You're going to be all right. Yeah. I can't no, go by just legs. Just lie down. God. Just lie down, okay? Don't, don't, don't let him move, you guys. Jesus Christ, don't let him move. And you're just like, I know this is wrestling, but guys, like have, I don't want to say decency, it's wrestling, but have some self-awareness. This is wildly inappropriate. And it, it goes along the same lines, though the reaction wasn't there, uh, in part because Chris Benoit died, I think, two days, a week later, of when 
they blew up Vince McMahon's limo and the stock price dropped. Like it's this idea that you're not people, you cannot fake being a television show and then have real shit happen. Like you have to pick one or the other. And I think they've become much better at delineating. This is a television show. These are characters where they do bad things. It's through the context of the television show, but they still do the dramatic voices and I think they almost wink at them now. But again, this this in large part started when one of the most beloved performers in the history of the business died during an accident that wasn't Misawa dying on a backdrop. It was someone falling from the top of a building and landing and breaking his chest cavity on a turnbuckle. It was the definition of a horrifying accident that didn't need to happen, but ended up happening because they pushed the edge too much. Um, like they have to appreciate, like you said, that they have a responsibility to the viewer and to children in particular. And I'm not like, well, watch out for the kids, the kids, but kids don't understand what they're watching is fake. And part of that, that's part of the fun of wrestling is when you go to a wrestling show and there's actual children there that are losing their minds because they think everything is real. That's awesome. Don't ruin that. Don't take that away from people because you want to use a cheap shortcut to get somebody over as a really bad guy. Yeah, definitely agreed. Like I said, it, it, it's just kind of like double manipulative, double, it's, it's a double lie. Like the whole construct of wrestling is already one big lie that people are buying into and, you know, permitting themselves to kind of go on a roller coaster ride with you. And it's like, don't, don't break that promise with them. Don't break that contract by, trying to emotionally manipulate them on a different level. It's like they came prepared to be manipulated in this way and excited to be manipulating in this way. But when you are trying to kind of break that safe border that's built around wrestling and trying to be like, nah, man, this is real. Like Mr. McMahon is really like his legs might be like, like he might be in a wheelchair forever, man. Like, whoa, how crazy is that? Did that happen live on raw? How unlikely, <laughs> you know, like that, that's kind of breaking out into this, this whole area that falls outside the general agreement of wrestling. And there's not saying you can't be edgy. It's saying understand that there's a difference between going being edgy and completely ignoring the core things of what you're doing. And it's not just a, a clutching your pearls kind of thing. It's you ruined the business doing shit like that. It becomes difficult for me to differentiate someone actually getting hurt in a real way that will permanently affect their emotion, their physical well-being, and a guy selling an injury. And I, I am fine with you pretending somebody has like a busted up shoulder or a messed up knee. When you're talking about concussions, when you're talking about necks, that's to me when you cross a line, when you're actually talking about someone not being able to do this. I've said this over and over again. To me, a successful wrestling show is one that didn't make me angry, and more importantly, one where somebody didn't get hurt. And when you take away that second part, that's when I actually get mad at a television show. Don't fake real injuries. Don't, and they've moved away from this for concussions, but they used to use concussions they were, the way that they used, like, hip injuries or a busted-up shoulder. They'd be like, oh, well, he has a concussion. He's wrestling the next day. It's like, no. That and it's understandable. We didn't know that much about concussions at the time, but it's like they used to, they have become smarter about it. But it's something that if I ever see it again, I think I will actually have to reevaluate watching as much as I do. Now that I've sworn off wrestling forever, I, I think we can end the show on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, holy shit, we're done, folks. That's that's a wrap. Because <laughs> I don't have a question this week because there's no, there, it's fake news sucks. It's a terrible thing. It's ruining the world. And wrestling is a good thing. And it makes me angry when it engages in the shittier parts of the fake news. But I understand at the same time, it is a safe space version of fake news. So um, did you have anything to plug this week, David? Uh, just generally follow me on Twitter at DaveWritesJunk. Also at The Wrestling Estate. Uh, I was part of a roundtable this week. We each created our uh, Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling managers. Uh, so if you want to see which four people, which four managers out of the entire history of wrestling 
I uh, chose to immortalize by carving into a mountain. Uh, you can check that out at the Wrestling Estate. Wait, they can see your carvings in that mountain? I, I really thought that, you know, Bobby Heenan. Oh, I don't want to spoil the list, actually. Ooh, 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 I let one slip out. But uh, those four people, I mean, I really, I really truly believe that they deserve to be honored just like, you know, presidents and, and historical figures because, you know, pro wrestling really is just like super important to the fabric of, of this country and, and to the the motion of the planet in general. You can check me out at The Nixer, that's T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. Uh, and you can also, as Dave mentioned during the sexy wizard portion of the episode, uh, check out our patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. Uh, check out some of the goodies if you have an interest in me writing an article for Juice Make Sugar of your choosing, or if you want to help us produce an episode and you will get to pick the topic, uh, we have tiers for those two things uh, in addition to the tiers that we mentioned. And um, you can check us out for the pod at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com. Also, we are now on Spotify as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store. Again, if you guys have any podcast apps that you're using that I've missed, please let me know. I will totally add it there. And, you know, if you can, uh, rate and review us. Uh, We prefer five stars, but we will take anything we can get at this point. Yeah, you know, I really like that uh, quantitative feedback. The stars, easy to understand, easy to interpret. But, you know, as a writer, I'm really about the qualitative feedback. So, So don't just forget to give us as many stars as freaking humanly possible. Make sure that you get, you know, a nice chunky paragraph in there singing our praises. That would that would just be a real a real solid to us here at How Wrestling Explains the World. I'm giving a thumbs up. They can't see it, but that's good radio. Jones is a charismatic performer who gets charged up on a regular basis. So there are plenty of lesser known outbursts like this. My spirit gets close to that evil and I feel it and my whole spirit just goes ah. ah! They call that crazy. That's not crazy. That's my will, my human spirit saying, crush those that would hurt the innocent. Go after the enemy. Build a civilization. Be honorable. Crush the snakes under your feet. The first thing you should know about the Alex Jones show is nothing. But unfortunately, it is an important part of a lot of people's media diets. An estimated six million people listen to his radio show or watch it online every week. And we know at least one Jones fan seems to be uh, uh, current Russian ambassador to the United States, Donald Trump. Uh, he, he, he supposedly called Jones after the election, has tweeted content from Infowars and one of its editors, and just a year and a half ago even appeared on his show. I just want to finish by saying your reputation's amazing. I will not let you down. You will be very, very uh, impressed, I hope. And I think we'll be speaking a lot. Here among the poor, sad, despicable, oppressive, misinformed. Let me have for you to bite your tongue secure. And the promise that you're right in every one.